Hello, my name is Samuel George London and welcome to Comics for the Apocalypse. On today's episode I speak to comic book writer and very articulate individual Alex DeLuca about what comics he would take into a zombie outbreak apocalypse. But before we get into it, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Comic Scene. To support their work, you can become a friend of Comic Scene for just £20 a year. When you become a friend, you get access to premium content on the website, including Comic Scene Weekly, Newsstand Comics, Retro Comics, Comic Shop of the Week, and free comic downloads. To find out more, visit comicscene.org. Now, without further ado, on with the show. Hello, Alex DeLuca. How's it going? Very well, thank you, Samuel. How are you? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Pretty good. It's been a nice. It's been one of those days where I feel like I've been productive, um, which is a real blessing. Um, how about you? I'm 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 the same. I've been I've been productive. It's pretty much lately. It's it's been nonstop moving, but I'm feeling quite mm. productive and getting things done. Absolutely, um, and you and you have been very productive. Um, and before we get get into what what the um, fruits are of that productivity, what do you do in the world of comics? Well, I'm a comic book writer, uh, comic book creator slash writer. I, I created a series for Red Five Comics, which is what we're going to talk about. One of the things um, I also do comic book lettering. I've done a lot of lettering for a lot of publishers, a lot of independents. And uh, I started getting into that because, well, I I thought it was easy, and boy, was that a mistake. And I thought, oh, <laughs> I could just use, oh, I can use a various of off-the-shelf Microsoft products with sort of off-the-shelf fonts. And when I when I submitted and pitched, it was it was ugly. It was ugly the responses I got. And that's exactly what I needed. So I decided just to spend some money, get some good equipment and um, learn a lot and practice a lot. So I did hundreds and hundreds of pages before I ever submitted any work to anyone else. So that's how I got into comic book lettering. Uh, I go to conventions. I enjoy myself. I read that kind of thing. Nice. Excellent. Um, And uh, where can people find you online? They can find me, uh, well, at Facebook, of course, Alex DeLuca. Remember, DeLuca is two words, D-E, and then a space and capital L-U-C-A. And the comic that we're going to talk about, Dragon Whisperer, is facebook.com forward slash Dragon Whisperer comic. And the more the merrier, come uh, check the comic out, and I'd love to see you. Absolutely. And all of those links are in the show notes, folks. So go click through to check out Alex's work. And uh, as Alex said, uh, the Dragon Whisperer is um, what you've been working on most recently. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's uh, a steampunk fantasy. And it uh, so it takes place in a in an alternate world. Some uh, actually Neil Peart of Rush, the Neil, late Neil Peart of Rush, their last album was a concept album. It was a steampunk album, Clockwork Angels, and he put it best on what steampunk is. It's a view of the future from the past. So mm. how things were in the Victorian era, they think, what's the future going to be like? Well, you know, probably a lot of steam that's going to run everything, right? Yeah, of course, and yeah. leather leather balloons and airships. So it's a steampunk fantasy. It focuses around a central um, young woman named Rosalinda Eberhardt, and she has this amazing ability to be able to 
at the beginning of the story, communicate with uh, with any kind of creature. It's kind of like a Doctor Doolittle, but there, there, there's more twists there. And and then mm-hmm. a dragon gets involved, and then airships, and then action and adventure, and automatons, and all kinds of cool tropes that you find within that world, and the thrill of a lifetime. Yeah, it certainly is because I've, I've I've read the first volume, mm-hmm. um, and um, I thought you, it was absolutely fantastic. And as you say, it's it's quite an adventure for for full of all sorts. Um, from from dragons to um, kind of what a Victorian person would think would be the future of travel, <laughs> right, right? And the art by Glenn Fernandez, uh, it's yes, it's stunning, wonderful. stunning. Yeah, really good. Yeah, no, um, really fun series. So I I highly recommend it. Um, Thank and you. Uh, the second the second volume is coming out soon, or the, at least the yeah the the first of the second volume. It is. It's coming out. Uh, this June, it's going to be a six-volume series. It picks up pretty much right after the last one left off, and uh, it's been it's been very very enjoyable to write and to see these characters grow and change, some for the better, some for the worse, and and because that's what being a human's like, right? One hundred percent, one hundred percent. And where's the best place to order that? Well, the best place to order it is. From your local comic shop, they could they can get it from their distributor. Uh, yeah. You can sign up at your comic shop's choice of their pull pull box. Uh, there's there's various ones. Uh, they got Diamond and some others, um, but certainly mm-hmm. Diamond Distributors and certainly Red Five Comics dot com. That's the publisher as well. Yeah, perfect, excellent. Um, well. All of that aside, unfortunately, just as <laughs> this this next issue of Dragon Whisperer comes out, unfortunately, there's been a zombie outbreak. Oh my Alex, goodness! I'm afraid. So my my most pressing question for you is: What is your action plan for survival? You know, it's it's funny you should ask. Uh, so I I live and work in Northern California, Silicon Valley, and mm-hmm. for ten years I worked at. Uh, IBM Corporation, you know, IBM, they're huge. And I worked at this location yeah. called Almaden big Research. Blue. Yeah, Big Blue. <laughs> I worked at this place called Almaden Research Center. It's IBM Research. So it's not just IBM, but it's it's research. It's where all the geniuses go. And this place mm. was basically Area 51. It is isolated at the top of a mountain, and it, it's a two-mile road to get up to the mountain. So yeah. it's a it's a huge facility. You can you can look it up. It's It's not secret like Area 51, but it's it's isolated like Area 51. So it's completely isolated. And this is, this is what I would do for the zombie apocalypse. It, it's, it starts with a short story. One day I was working, and I'm an audiovisual engineer. So I'm in charge of all the conference rooms, the monitors, the video conference, and all that. So one day we all get a memo, and this really happened, where the VP said, don't come to work tomorrow. They didn't explain why. They just said, don't come to work tomorrow. Everybody, do not come to work. And then... Another email went out to a very, very select few people, and they say, you come to work tomorrow, and I'm one of those people that got the email. So I said, okay, wear your suit. This is okay. So I, this is all true. I, so as I'm driving up the hill, I see snipers, military, dogs, and That's... military vehicles all the way up the hill. And so, you know, I'm obviously 
I, I, I want to like wet my pants. <laughs> so not this guy done. <laughs> right. So I'm going up the hill and then, you know, they, they, uh, so we, we all meet at the lobby and all of our, all of our bags are checked. And this isn't the kind of thing that you go to a concert and they kind of like look in there and they say, go ahead. They go through everything. I mean, dirty mm-hmm. underwear, everything. And so it turns out that um, at the time, um, Shimon Perez, the president of Israel at the time, he was, he was taking mm-hmm. a tour of the of Silicon Valley. And this was one of the stops. But because he's a very high profile person, controversial, high profile person, they wanted to keep it on the hush hush. But this is what was at this location. There was dozens and dozens of United States absolute SEAL team level badasses. And then on top of that, there were dozens and dozens of Israeli badasses, all of them armed to the teeth. They had all the dogs. So, and here's another thing about this facility. It's, it, it's, um, it has its own power substation. Uh, we were only maybe 40 people in a facility that fits thousands. So it had a completely stocked um, a servery of food. It had showers and bathrooms. And I thought to myself, I said, boy, if the zombie apocalypse happened right now, I would tell my family, my wife and son to come here. And I said, okay, we have enough food to probably last for decades. We have a power substation. We have bathrooms and showers. And we have enough firepower to start another war. And (laughs) all the trained personnel to use it. And I'll always remember that. So my action plan for the zombie apocalypse is to grab my family and rush to Almaden Research Center and just kind of camp out there and just stay there. And say, okay, we're going to live here now. Uh, we have all of our food, all of our water. And, um, well, in the case of that instance with all the, uh, the military, we had them. But that wasn't all the time. But that's my plan. That, that was a long story to, to, for a short answer. No, that's amazing, though. It sounds like it, it was such a bizarre experience, kind of, you know, driving up this mountain right to right. discover like all of these things going on and it's like what on earth is going what, on? exactly and we were completely in the dark and then yeah. uh, and then we find out what it was wow that's wild man um well in this scenario so you've made it to this facility with your family mm-hmm. um and just by the nature of there just being you know like 40 of you in this in this relatively large place mm-hmm. um you get to know president pires um and um one evening um he asks you about the uh about comics uh-huh. um and you know because he he's not experienced in comics at all so he wants to find out more and so he asks you what's the first comic you remember enjoying the first comic i remember enjoying i was a wee wee lad very young and it is chamber of chills number 23 by marvel comics from oh boy 1972 and uh, and the reason that i remember it it's because it had uh, it was called the the gorilla man curse of the gorilla man and literally since 
the womb. I was been I've been a King Kong fan. I've loved King Kong. I just I love like large gorilla movies and gorilla things, but but King Kong is the king of all those. Mm-hmm. And so it was it was an instinctive attraction for me to to be attracted to anything that had a gorilla on it. And then this particular comic had this big, strong, cool-looking gorilla man on it. So I was immediately, I was immediately hooked. Now I was scared reading it because I was young and I didn't know it was like a horror comic, but um, I didn't care. I, I liked it, and I remember Chamber of Chills, number twenty-three from nineteen seventy-two. Nice, excellent. And and where did where did you generally pick up your comics when you were a boy? I got it at a magazine stand in Rochester, New York, where I'm from. Uh, it was actually uh, it was a magazine shop. There weren't any comic shops, but it was a magazine shop. And my older brother and I, it was right next to my dad's work. So whenever we went to my dad's work for one reason or another, we just went into this magazine book shop where you walk in and you just smell the paper. You know the feeling. It's just and, and mm-hmm. in the corner of it was the comic section. And my brother and I, we made a beeline to the comic section, and we were just there for hours, just perusing everything and and this was the 70s and uh and i and it was it was uh such a golden age even though even though technically it's the bronze age for me it was a golden age of comics uh and it was just wonderful perusing all that that's where i saw it oh that's fantastic Mm -hmm. and so obviously writing didn't come later for you but what inspired you to get into writing what inspired me to get into writing? Uh, well, when when I for most of my comic book reading tenure as a young man, I, I I looked at the pictures. You know, I read the words, but I looked at the pictures, and then I wanted to know who the artists were and all that. And then, and then I, I and then I when I took the time to read the credits, I see that there's a credit for a writer. So I said, okay, somebody writes this. How do they write it? Well, there's a few ways, but I found out they write a script. So I said, oh, so. This is really a, this is really a production, like a movie or a, a television show. There's there's a, mm-hmm. a team of people, and I said, well, I'm I'm a lousy artist. I you know I I like to draw when I was a kid, but I'm I'm I stink, and uh, so I don't think that's going to happen. So I got into writing, and Chris Claremont, uh, he was one of the first writers that really stood out as a writer of a comic that I would go out of my way to buy a comic. That was written by Chris Claremont, not caring who the character or the artist were. I would because mm-hmm. I enjoyed his writing, and so I said, "Okay, click th- that. That makes sense." And then, so Chris Claremont happened. Jim Shooter was the uh, editor in chief of Marvel at 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 much of this time, and then th- then I got to notice a certain. Um, a certain feel of, of uh, a uniform feel of comics that I liked. And I loved that Jim Shooter's sort of editing practice. And then Alan Moore happened and I said, okay, that's it. <laughs> you know, Alan Moore, um, I can never top Alan Moore, but I, I can certainly want to write because of Alan Moore's inspiration. Neil Gaiman came, that was the cherry on top of the cake. And then, and then suddenly all the doors opened of all these writers of comics and of course, I still love the art, and I and I get comic for the art, but I I, I really now get comic more for the writing, uh, and and particular writers, Grant Morrison, just a bunch of a bunch of really good writers out there that that I I really like. So that's how I got into comic book writing, and you know, I, I this was the late '80s, early '90s, and and I I'd, I'd write these massive scripts, 
and they, they would be awful. And, you know, I pretty much write like I was, you know, in the, in the, the late fifties, you know, I, you know, I said, you know, pow, all those kinds of things. And, um, awesome. yeah. And, you know, so on and so forth. It was, it was kind of like the transition of, of the early Hollywood acting transitioning to the naturalistic Hollywood acting. That, that was my, that was my thing. So, and, uh, here nice. I am writing a comic. Yeah. And so where, where did the inspiration come for Dragon Whisperer? The inspiration came from Dragon Whisperer, uh, in the mid two thousands, I I wanted to uh, well I had this story that I wrote and then it wasn't at all steampunk and it was it was very different and I hired an artist it it was it did involve a dragon and it didn't involve a young person it was a boy a young person who had a special ability but it was it was it was like something out of a Robert Louis Stevenson it was it was that era so it was sailing ships and then. I got a few nibbles and, and from the art and all that, and, but and then and then but nothing happened of it, and then it it went away. So fast forward about ten years, I pull out the pages and I thought, you know, this is pretty good, um, but let me let me tweak this. So and since these pages were of a sailing ship era, you know, of of uh, sort of like you know Treasure Island era, I'll call it that. I just said, well, I, I want to make it different. I want to make it steampunk. So I can use these pages. I can rewrite the dialogue. I can create a whole new story. I can make this a flashback sequence. And then I pitched it after that. And then it clicked It clicked with um, with some publishers. And then they said, let's see more. So I hired another artist. We redid it. And I said, let's do let's do a whole comic book. You know, I'll, I paid an artist, Glenn, Glenn Fernandez. I paid him out of pocket. And I said, mm-hmm. Um, here's the script. Let's do this whole comic. And then there was 23 complete page, a complete first issue comic. And then I pitched and then I was very blessed. I got a lot of bites and that that I can pick and choose from. I was just really tickled and it was, it was wonderful. So um, I went with red five because they, they were just, it was, it was the best fit. Nice. Perfect. Match made in heaven. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Still great. Volumes with them too. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's fantastic. Brilliant. Now, heading back to uh, President Pires, and uh, the next question that crops up is, what's the funniest comic that you've read? The funniest comic I read um, is called Gregory by uh, Mark Hempel. And uh, I believe it, it may have been originally self-published. I'm not sure. But I think it, it eventually funneled over into the, the DC Comics mm-hmm. Vertigo imprint. Uh, that I know. And well, it's, it's, uh, it's sort of a, it's sort of a macabre laugh here. And I, as a young man, I laughed for one reason. And as this much older man, I laugh for different reasons, but it focuses on Gregory, who's a special needs young man. And, um, and, and it has the tropes of old world, old school, crazy person, I'm going to say. Even, even though that's even though that's not a, a nice word, but what I'm going to say is a, a straight jacket and a padded room. But Gregory has this fantasy world where it's just so rich and cute. There's there's um, Herman Vermin, which is his mouse friend, and who, who with Gregory talks, and and they get into adventures, and and all of the adventures of Gregory focus on his world, his his 
mentally disabled world and how he sees everything. And there are sad moments, but it, it's, it's all so funny. It's so funny. And, um, so I read that and I was entertained and I, and I thought it was, it was nice and cute. Well, I'm a father now. And it just so happens that my son is autistic. He's lower functioning autistic. So right. I can read Gregory now. And you, and when my when my son first received his diagnosis, yes, it was it was horrible. But then as as the years went by, mm-hmm. I was adapting to him, and then we our life changed, everything changed. So that so now it's a very happy life. He still has autism, and he's still in his special needs, and he still needs to be taken care of. But mm-hmm. we've adapted, and and it's it's a happy life, and he's such a happy, beautiful young boy. And then I I saw a, a comedian once. His name is Paul Smith. He goes by Pablo Spigson. He's actually from Liverpool. And then he has a, a low-functioning autistic son too. And then he actually does a comedy routine around it. And it was controversial. And then people who didn't have autistic family or children, they were appalled. They said, how can you do that? That's awful. But just about everybody, everybody with an autistic family member or child like me, we all laughed until we wet our pants and it's because one it's it's our world and we can identify and the other thing is it's so much better to laugh than to cry and you know what's crying Mm -hmm. gonna do you know it's not gonna do anything but i think laughing is gonna do a lot more because when you laugh other people are are laughing with you and 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 we're not laughing and Mm -hmm. to be sure i'm not laughing at my son or other special needs people. It's a laughing with kind of thing. It's, I get it. When, when he talked about how yeah. the comedian, he, he you know, all, all this stuff, I could see it now. I could see it in my life. And I laugh because other people are experiencing it too. So Gregory by Mark Hempel, I, I still laugh at it now. And it's a wonderful, lovely comic. That's awesome. And yeah, laughter certainly heals the soul, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Absolutely. Nice, excellent, and uh, great, great to hear that. Um, yeah, you've uh, you found a support, a supportive community. Oh my gosh, of, it's, uh, it's, of it's like, wonderful. Like, yes, um, like situated people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in that. Um, that's fantastic. Uh, now, changing gears a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, what's the saddest comic that you've read? Oh, Mouse, Art Spiegelman. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. Do I have? Do I even have to explain it? Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, probably it's, it's a devastating read. It's a devastating. And if you read it and you don't feel sad, I, I think there's a disconnect in one's brain. One, that's a sadness that one needs to feel. It's, it's a pain. Even if you weren't there, it's, it's a pain and a horror that one needs to feel reading this comic. Um, I, that's that's a comic that I gave to my dad, who was a young man doing, and my my all my family's from Italy, so so they know World War II right there, and so so I none of my family were in concentration camps, but my dad experienced World War II right there in 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 the theater of the war, so he read this and it was an emotional experience for him too, and and that added to my experience, but for sure, Mouse. Um, it was it was an educational. It was an eye opening read, and uh, it was it was very sad. But it's it's kind of like it's it's almost like it was a good cry. It's a cry that one needs to one needs to experience. 
they yeah. need to see this kind of experience. And uh, told as a comic, it was just the, the perfect medium for me. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, no, it is that. It's it's being able to understand those emotions and let them let them out, mm. isn't it? Oh yeah, I think yeah, definitely. And uh, how how do you think it's how do you think that story has affected you on your perspective on the world? Oh, I, we, everybody complains about something stupid every day of their life. And, and, and Mm -hmm. it's, and when I say something stupid, it it could be like, oh, work. Oh, what a headache. Oh, this, that, oh, the person at the store, all this kind of stuff. And, and then if I even think about mouse and all that it implies, I, I'm ashamed of myself. I'm ashamed of myself that my cup in life, it runs over. I'm not a rich person or anything like that. I, I, I work, I, I have a job, but my cup still runs over. I, I have my health, I have a home, and I, I have many things, and they are just things. But other, th- other than that, family, I have so much that it, it my, my cup just runs over. And there's no real reason to complain about anything, even something tragic, because tragic things are going to happen to people. But what happened in Mouse and what happened with the concentration camps and all of that, they, the, my goodness, they didn't choose that. It, it happened to them. And mm-hmm. it just, it, it, it makes me tremble. I don't want to bring a downer to this thing, but it, it's the kind of thing that one needs to feel and experience when they read this comic book. It's, it's, uh, that's, that's what, that's what it, it added to my life. There's, there's, there's a a, a thing I say often that the man who, who opened the first page was a different man than the one who turned the last page. It was, it changed me. It changed me. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So it's a powerful sentiment. Um, and definitely hits home with a book like mouse. So, uh, yeah, no. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, moving on to our next question, which again shifts gears a little bit. Um, what's the scariest comic that you've read? Yeah, you know, it's it's a funny one. Um, the scariest comic I read is Omega Men number two from 1983 by DC. In it's DC Comics, and uh, and here's why it's scary. I was I was, it was 1983. I was 14. So uh, it's it's. A slightly more it's slightly more adult geared um, science fiction comic with aliens and spaceships and Lobo made his first appearance in the Omega Man. Different Lobo back then, but mm. it was it was the the seed of the, of the Lobo that we know now. But it was a really cool comic, and there was issue number two. It focused around the, the big strong character named Brute. Now, but his species are peaceful, even though they're big and strong. They're a peaceful species, but he he broke away from them. By by being violent if he had to be, which you know, and condoning it, but and his species didn't like that. And this was a flashback of what became of that. So brute, he he looks sort of like the Hulk, but not quite. A little bit, almost like a, a clay a clay uh, Hulk. And uh, and he had a wife, and he had a baby, and um, and then he was he was feeling his feelings of you know we can't just all be complete pacifists. So. And, th- and there was a ruling class that were another alien species. They were reptiloid, reptilian. And 
there was an altercation. And then one of the reptilian bad guys, as Brute's attacking him, fires his laser pistol. And, you know, he fired it sort of in random because Brute was attacking him. And then the laser pistol shoots the baby in the head and kills the baby. And Yikes. Yeah, and they show it. And then the next scene is an alert, uh, inert, limp baby. It's an alien baby, but it's a humanoid alien baby. So it's cute and I can identify. And then then what's worse is they show this poor baby crying. And then they show it get shot in the head. And then they show the, 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 the viscera and the gore to go along with it. And then... And it's it's one of those things that if you see something horrible on television on the screen, you wish you didn't see. And then I was looking at it as a 14-year-old boy, and then I was riveted, and then I kept reading. And then I turned back at the page. I said, did I see that? And I did. And then I was, I was, I was angry, and I said, Keith Giffen was the artist. How can you do that? How can you show that to a comic that a kid's going to read? And the writer, how can you write that? And I guess ultimately, I'm glad of the experience because obviously it left an impression, but it was really scary for me. And it's, and it's more so now because I'm a dad and, you know, and, and then when, when you see, when anybody sees another child in, in a scary situation, in any context, a parent is going to instinctively think of their own child and they're going to think, and then they're, and then they're sort of like their protective instincts going to kick into gear. So that's what happens reading it now. So Interestingly, Omega Men number two, that particular comic was, to this day, still still the scariest one. Yeah, man, um, it is. It's amazing how you know having having a family kind of changes you, doesn't it? Um, that's right. That's right. You, look, you, you look back at stuff um, like that, and it kind of it just sends a shiver up your spine, like like in The Walking Dead, for instance. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, when they also kill a baby. <laughs> oh my gosh, I know. I'm getting goosebumps even thinking about it. Or or when or when a young boy is 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 getting eaten by the zombies and his hand is holding his mother's hand who's yeah. trying to oh, I just it's 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 staggering. It's staggering. It makes me shudder. Yeah, it really does. Um yeah. and uh, you just you, 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 it would destroy you. If that ever ha- if something ever like that happened, unfathomable. Um, obviously not, not 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 a zombie, but you know, just just losing a child would just be like it, yeah, destroy. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it does just send a shiver up your spine. <laughs> it does, it does. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, now uh, moving on to one of my favourite questions, a little bit more upbeat. Yeah, uh, what's your favourite cover? Oh, this one's easy for me. It's X Men number 133 it was it was called wolverine lashes out and um (laughs) it came out 1980 and uh it's it's sort of like the beginning of the wolverine that we know now i mean wolverine was always was always you know the the anti-hero cool badass um but that issue was sort of like the beginning of Okay, Wolverine is his own character above and beyond the X-Men. And and the cover it shows him in his original costume, art by John Byrne, inking by Terry Austin, Glynis Oliver colors and, and then Tom Orzkowski letters. It's that's like that's like the dream team of of comics of, of Marvel comics at the time. And it shows him in his early yellow costume and it shows him with his claws out, just 
kicking the butts of a bunch of bad guys. And, and it's just, okay, I get it. I, now, now I get you looking back at that. That's the beginning of why, how Wolverine became the Wolverine that we know now. And mm-hmm. I just love that. It's got energy. It's, it's got a, it's got a sort of a Frank Frazetta energy to it because he's in the middle of his fight. It's not, it's not before the fight. It's not after the fight. It's right in the middle of the fight. He's and his whipping his claws around, and you see like the the lines that the artist drew of of the silver of the claws whipping around, and it's just mm-hmm. you just really want to read that book and get to that scene. Love that cover. Love it. Yeah, you do. It's it's really one of those that you know you see it on a shelf and you just you want to know what's what's going on there. How mm-hmm. how has he got into the situation and how does it end? Of right. Course, yeah. As well. And the fact and the fact that it's 40 cents as well helps. You know that exactly <laughs> that, that helped a lot. For sure. Yeah, no. Oh, that's a that's a fantastic choice there Alex. That's, that's great. And for, for yeah, for anybody that wants to look at it again, uh, it's the un- uncanny X-Men 133. Um so go uh, go google that and it comes right up. Yep. It's right um, during the Hellfire Club. Well. You bet. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, now, um, moving on to our next question, and this is a new question. So for listeners, um, you'll be interested um, to, to hear what, what this is, and that is what comic do you repeatedly read the most? Yeah, it, um, that's, that's, that was a little bit harder, but there was one that always stands out. It's uh, Miracle Man slash Marvel Man. Uh, you know, it's called Miracle Man here in the States because of a, of a lawsuit. Yeah. They couldn't use the word Marvel, but it's the original mm-hmm. British comic Marvel Man, number 16. It's Alan Moore. You can't go wrong with Alan Moore. And um, John Tottlebin is the artist. Can't go wrong with him, too. Just brilliant, brilliant team. And it's number 16. It was his his last one of the Miracle Man run. And, and it, so such rich story and character characterization built up to that comic and was in that comic it's the comic after the um the 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 tragedy of what happened in number 15 and and what it was so the good guys and i say that with air quotes were triumphant and i say that with air quotes too because that, that, that that's never black and white with alan moore nobody nobody's in the least bit one dimensional with alan moore and it's kind of like superheroes who are real flawed people are, are at the beginnings of needing to start a new world, but from the ashes and destruction and gore of the previous world. And, and they do it and they start it. And then you see the process and it's not just like you turn the page and then suddenly you see the fortress of solitude you see the process of what goes into it and you see how people react and you see all this, just the, 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 the drama and the characterization and the emotion and everything. And then finally, finally, when that utopia is achieved, it's, there's a sequence in that comic. And, and then it's when Miracle Man himself speaks to the people of the earth and says, earth, now you're going to have now you have this you had this before but now you have this and it's going to be better earth you're going to have this this and this and then and then and then if it were a movie it would be a slow truck away from this 
amazing structure. And it says, oh, earth, you don't have to be in the gutter anymore. Oh, earth, you don't have to suffer anymore. And then the last line, the last panel, and he says, oh, earth, look up. And then, oh, you just, you read that and you go, how can, how, how can anybody be that good? How can Alan Moore, how can any human being write that freaking good? And then I, I, it's just Alan Moore. That's the, your answer. You just, and, and that's, and just thinking about it now, I want to go home and read it again. I read it a hundred times and I want to read it again because it's like, I, I want to feel that emotion again. It's such a great, great book. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's fantastic, man. Um, yeah, no, it's it, it's great to have um, have a book like that that you can rely on <laughs> right. just to get that feeling. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely fantastic. And, of course, Alan, Alan Moore's the, the master of that. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, that's uh, that's brilliant. That's brilliant to hear. I can, just, I can hear, I can feel the emotions you go through as, as you're talking oh, yeah. about it. So it yeah, great. it just... Yeah, the, the way the way that that the comic was directed, the way that John Tottleman did the art, all of it, it was just it was the perfect mix of of writer and artist and subject matter. It was just oh, it ended with a bang that his run, and then it was followed by Neil Gaiman. I mean, talk about a talk about a, a series with a, a great team, you know? You bet. Absolutely. Fantastic. Now, uh, moving on to uh, another of my favorite questions, and that is, what's the most meaningful comic to you? Oh, another another hard answer, but it, it ended up being easy. This is this is uh, this comic was called Queen of Cosmos Comics, comics with an X, by Barbara Willie Mendez. Also published by Red Five Comics, but um, Barbara Mendez uh, she was and is uh, but a comic book artist and creator and fine artist, uh, and she was around in the late 60s, early 70s, with the underground comics movement and with this group of unbelievably brilliant women that made comics. And they just made such a splash. And then they're all legends. They're all legends now, Barbara included. And then, But this comic came out recently with Red 5. And what it is, is it's sort of a creation. I mean, it's many, many things. But if, there, if there's a central narrative, it's a creation story of the world, biblical, somewhat, somewhat creation story of the world, but told from the point of view, not from the patriarchy, from the matriarchy. It was from a women's perspective, where the God is a woman. All, all, all of the the ones that call the shots in the creation of this world are all women, and it's it's I use the word devastating a lot, and it's just. Oh my gosh! And and but it, it has a lot of tangential stuff. It gets into science fiction. It gets into her personal life. It gets all of this. But it all. But the central theme is is the creation of the world and everything that it implies. And everyone needs to read this book. But I'm going to say in particular, men need to read this book because we, as men, need to mm-hmm. see this point of view. We need to see something that just is a hard breakaway from everything that we've been raised with all of our lives. And in this, and it's, it's a comic about love and it's a comic about life and it's a comic about acceptance and strength and it's black and white and it's very detailed. And it's the, yeah. it's the only comic that I've, I enjoy with a magnifying glass because I don't want to miss anything. It's kind of like yeah. where's Waldo, but it's, it's, it's tiny details all over the place. And, 
And um, and, and just like I said with, with Mouse, the, the man who turned the last page is a different man, a changed man than the one who read the first place. And, and I'm still changed. Th- I, that man that was before, he's gone. There's this new man that, because of reading this particular book, Queen of Cosmos Comics, and it's just... Uh, it's an, it's an experience. It's not a read. It's an experience. It's, it's very enveloping. It, it, mm-hmm. it, it completely absorbs you. And, uh, and when, when you, no when you turn the last page, it's like, you're breathing heavy. It's like, whew, what did I just do? It was, it, it's that kind of experience. Extraordinary. Absolutely. And I, I do recommend everybody just <clears throat> Googling it. Um, queen of cosmos comics. And that's with an X at the mm-hmm. end rather than CS. Um, I mean, the art, as you say, it's it's so detailed and fine. And yeah, I I would want to have a magnifying glass, right? To I, everything. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. When when I when I go to conventions and you know, and I and I do Red Five comics, and I and I display everything. I, I put that it's it's much bigger, so I put it in the top and and elevate it so people look at it. And when when people stop at the table, I have all these Red Five comics up, and they said. Tell me about your comics. So I tell them about the various ones. This one's mine. I'll sign it for you for free, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And and I'll tell mm-hmm. you this one. And I say, okay, you see all these comics here? They're good. You will you will like it. You will enjoy the story. You will be moved by it. They're good. But see this one here, Queen of Cosmos Comics. This will change you. This will change your life. I'm not I'm not downplaying any other ones. They're all great. And and if they touch you in that way, mm-hmm. great. But guaranteed, you you pick up this one. It will change you and it will change you for the better. It will. And if you feel angry or attacked by it, then you know what? They're talking to you and you got to read it more than anybody else. Uh, mm-hmm. Even more so if you, if you, if you, for one reason or another, feel, feel attacked. Uh, good. Because it's, it's, it's a comic that you need to read. Uh, just couldn't recommend it. Couldn't recommend it more strongly. Awesome. Fair play, man. Mm-hmm. Really? Yes. <clears throat> now, um, Moving on to our next question, and it's our penultimate question. What's the most underrated comic that you've read? The un- most underrated comic that um, I've read is called Cyberzone, and it's by Jimmy Robinson. And Jimmy Robinson later went on to more fame doing Bomb Queen by Image Comics. And he did a bunch of stuff, The Empty by Image Comics. But he's he's kind of known big for, for Bomb Queen. He's He's big into sort of like this slightly darker humor bomb queen's a you know a bad guy bad girl and um but the comic focuses focuses around the you know antagonist but before all that he self-published this thing called cyber zone and it was black and white it was the early 90s only seven issues were ever made and um it has a black female gay main character and it was, and at the time, you know, right now it's that's more commonplace subject matter, all of that, much more diversities in comics now. But back then, it was new, and, and I read it, and it was like, oh wow! So it was a, a future dystopia, and it had that, and she's she's like the anti-hero mercenary for hire kind of thing. She has a talking gun, who's kind of a wisecracking talking gun, and um, <laughs> but she's you know, she's one of the first female badasses she's got her big doc martin boots and uh she has uh and she's i she has some cybernetic to her but i really enjoyed it it was really great storytelling and it you know takes place in a very dirty urban dystopian future uh 
and and it's just it was just a great story and i recommend everybody everybody pick it up you you're going to have to dig a little bit um well it's on it's on um uh comicsology i think it's on comicsology but you're going to have to dig a little mm. bit but it's a great read it's a great read and uh, and and it 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 just didn't get his due it didn't get its due from my opinion it was it was a, it was sort of revolutionary and it was kind of new and it was the first and best to do what it did so highly recommended cyber zone by jimmy robinson awesome man um but yeah now hopefully it is on um well what's now um just amazon yeah um isn't it rather than um comicsology right yeah that's, no, right. that's no, right no no longer um but uh, yeah no it'd be interesting to see if it's on if it's on ebay it's all for the physical copy yeah yeah they're they're they're, they're out there they exist no doubt Maybe maybe it's worth worth a bubble to to digitize it. Yeah. No. Oh. Okay. So yeah, you can actually get the number one for like six pounds, which is approximately like ten dollars. Yeah. Something like that for the for, for it being it's like boarded and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, the Great. problem is it's 50, 15 pounds postage to get it to the UK. <laughs> oh dear. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Denied. Yeah. Which is about, you know, probably about 25 bucks or wow. something like that. Um, wow. but, uh, yeah, no, it's out there folks. If you want to get the physical, but of course it is on Amazon as well for the digital, if you want to do that too. Um, so that's fantastic. No, um, mm-hmm. great to, to hear about that. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're well ahead of the curve. Cool. Yeah, definitely. Nice. Excellent. Now, moving on to our last question. Um, that is, if you could only take one comic into the apocalypse, which would it be? I'm going to go with uh, the, the, well, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to expand on the question by making it a, a you know, the, the, the maxi series, just, just 10 issues, mm-hmm. um, 10 or 12. I forget. It's, it's star child by, Star Child Awakenings. That that's the uh, that's the volume by my friend James A. Owen, and uh, who has since gone on to much uh, larger fame, being a Simon and Schuster New York Times published best-selling published author for the Chronicles of the Imaginarium Geographica. Great series of books. You know, you'll you'll see it right up right wow. beside the all the, the the great young adult fantasy stuff at the bookstore. But he mm-hmm. he he started with drawing and doing comics and this was the early early 90s maybe 91 or 92 and i was at comic con so i was already in heaven and uh you know and it was my earlier comic cons i've been going since the 80s but you know it started to really expand a lot back then um so i was you know you pass by these tables and you see a lot of independence and then i'll I'll never forget i passed by his table with his comic star child did a double take and then i went back and and what it is it's a very it's 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 sort of like almost um, wood wood carved art. It's it's very uh, sylvain. It, it 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 looks like it was it was drawn on a cross section of a tree. It's it's black and white, and it's very Edwardian. It's it has fantasy. It has fairies, and it it has all of that. So if if you like fantasy, it's for you. Um, and it it it's an epic story. It has. Uh, Oberon, the, the the king of the uh, of the fairies, that was from Shakespeare. wasn't from It wasn't from the Sandman. It was it predates the Sandman. Mm-hmm. All that stuff. 
and it's 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 sort of the story of uh, another sort of a creation story, but it was the creation story which focuses around the telling of stories. Everything you know, like it says in the Bible, it, it, it began with the Word, and we all know that. So it's it's sort of like how stories create reality. And um, but the reason why I take that with me into the apocalypse because it has such a, such a fond memory for it. I remember first picking it up. And then me and James now are, are really close friends. We, we talk all the time and I, I get his work no matter what. And he's still writing like crazy. He's brilliant and he's a brilliant artist. And it's just, this series has the same, it's all, it's, it's equal parts for me, epicness. It's an epic story and it's equal parts coziness because it's sort of that story you could, you could read wrapped up in a blanket with only one light on with your cup of coffee or, you know, your other libation. And then, you know, you, and it's the, it's just that cozy read that you, you want to read it in that, just that delicious sort of setting of like me and my book and no one else to bug me. Um, that's, that's the sort of feel that I get. It's a warm feeling I get when I think about star child. So, and that's the one I want to take into the, into the uh, desert Island with me. That one. Absolutely, man. No, that's fantastic. It's nice to nice to have a uh, a a place where you can escape um, in mm-hmm. the in the zombie apocalypse. Definitely. Yeah. Um, and uh, al- along with that, what weapon, tool, or useful item would you like to take with you as well? Oh gosh, there's there's so much. There's so so many I can think of. Like, you know, the car with all the spikes sticking out of it. Uh, but then that'll run out of gas, and then like you know, a box of matches. Well, everything, everything's fine. Eh? But that, but that will run out of, but that will run out of like you know, you run out of matches, and the lighter will run out of fuel. It, but I'm gonna go boring here, and I'm gonna probably say bleach. <laughs> I'm gonna go boring. Nice. I'll, I'll probably nice. say bleach Good. because because a a, a few a few. Um, a dropper fulls of bleach in a large, in a large, you know, uh, container of water. Um, it's not poison. In fact, it'll clean that water. So before, before anything else, even, even before, uh, shelter and, and warmth, um, which, which, you know, is, is achievable by, by maybe digging a hole or, or, you know, finding, finding cast off clothing. Water is so important. You know, everybody knows that we 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 can't go, yeah. but a few days without water. But eventually, that water is going to get dirty. So if I had lots and lots and lots and lots of bleach, and I just add a capful to a large thing of water, I'll have clean water. So after all this talk about cool comics and fantasy and all that, and you know, you want to think of something <laughs> like, you know, sort of like a, a blaster pistol from Star Wars or a lightsaber? Nope, bleach boring <laughs> nice <laughs> but it's 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 all about the long game man it's isn't it? Um, yes. it is absolutely so yeah along with um your coffee of star child awakenings you can have an entire crate of bleach that will hopefully last you for years to come that's um, right mm-hmm. and uh yeah whilst you rebuild the civilization <laughs> yep that's right i'll have a drink <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Alex DeLuca, thank you so much for sharing your comments with the apocalypse. It's been a real pleasure. Oh my goodness. Thank you, Samuel. Thank you for inviting me to this. It's been a true pleasure for me too.
Fantastic. And for the listeners, one more time, where can they find you online? I'm on Facebook. Facebook, um, Alex DeLuca, or my comic, um, facebook.com forward slash Dragon Whisperer comic. I'm on red5comics.com with my series Dragon Whisperer. And the more the merrier. Please come check it out. The new the new series is going to come out. If uh, if you're going to go to Comic-Con this, this July in San Diego, California, I will be at the table the entire time, uh, the Red 5 Comics table, the, the whole time, signing away and um, working on the next volume now, working on other series. I'm, I'm working on other, other series completely different from Dragon Whisper. And um, so it's, it's, a medium, it's a medium that I absolutely love. And, uh, and, and you gotta, you gotta take me away from it, kicking and screaming. Cause I'm going to continue with it until, until the grave. <laughs> excellent, Alex. Excellent. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, may hopefully our, uh, our paths one day might perhaps cross a comic con. Um, I'll try and make it across, um, to San Diego at some point um in the future. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, if you ever make it to London, let me know. Oh, I've been many times, and I and it's perhaps one of my favorite places on earth to visit. I love it there. Love it. Love it. Oh, excellent! That's good to hear. So, yeah, now if you do if you do ever um, come by, um, it'd be great to uh, great to ca- catch a coffee. Oh, I'll look you up. It's it's plan plan on it. Plan on it. Awesome, awesome. Well, again, Alex DeLuca, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure our, our paths will cross in the future. I, I certainly hope so. And you have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Cheers. Thanks, Alex. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Alex for being on Comics for the Apocalypse. It was an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review for us on iTunes or whichever podcast service you use. As not only will let me know that you liked it, but believe that it helps make other people aware of the show as well. If you'd like to check out Alex's work or follow him on social media, those links are in the show notes, along with all our own links to the various areas of the internet. Speaking of which, if you haven't already, be sure to visit Comic Scene's website at comicscene.org for comic news, the comic club, and other fun sequential art stuff. And finally, as long as the apocalypse doesn't come to pass in the next week, I'll see you next Monday. Bye for now.